Hello and welcome to this week's Golf Shake podcast with me, Kieran Clark, alongside my good friend and colleague Owen Davis, who last week joined us from the confines of a Costa Coffee car park. And Owen, this week, where are you joining us from here? I, I'm in the office at home, Kieran. So you're in the office at home. home. That's yes. I know. It's a step up. That's, that, that's kind of disappointing. I've got to say. I was hoping you'd be somewhere else. For you, I might go on a coffee shop journey week in, week out, and see how we well, get. Well, I was. I was about to say, you know, out of kind of the interests of balance, of course, there are other coffee shop outlets available in the United Kingdom. Perhaps we'll get you going to a Starbucks uh, next week if they start paying their taxes a bit more regularly than they do already, <laughs> maybe, perhaps. But anyway, this week, of course, was obviously a, a good week for golf. And, uh, oh, did you play at the weekend? I told you, you got in the course and did you... I heard you actually played competitively this weekend. How did that get on? I did. I played a county foursomes tournament and struggled extremely uh, badly. I was, I was poor, um, nearly as poor as my partner. I'm generally going to blame it on him, actually, because that's what you can nearly do. Nearly as poor as your, oh, of <laughs> course, but nearly as poor as your partner. That that's that's awful. And the the guy's not even on the podcast. You're you're putting this out there to the masses, the millions who listen to this program, and he has no way. He has no chance of rebuttal. That seems very harsh to me, indeed. But of course, your poor play, Owen, is probably exceptional for ninety percent of the mere mortals on the planet. But in terms of great players, uh, there were many great play- players at the weekend on both major tours, the European Tour and the PGA Tour. And in the European Tour, it was Bernd Wiesberger from Austria who overcame Tommy Fleetwood in a playoff in China to win there. And Wiesberger's had a, had a remarkable run of form in recent months. He missed the cut last year at the uh, US PGA Championship last August. And since then, he hasn't missed a cut at all. And he's recorded a number of really high finishes around the, around the world. A, a few runner-up finishes and a lot of top 10s. He's, he's playing very consistently so it hasn't been a big surprise but Owen you know Bernd Wiesberger I don't know where you saw the finish there the great shot he played from the bank the water played to within five feet hold the putt to win that playoff against Tommy uh, but Wiesberger's one of these guys Owen who he's been there thereabouts for the last few years he, he's always seemed to have had the potential to potentially break into the sort of the top ranks of the game maybe become a Ryder Cup player in the future you know now he's got this win under his belt his fourth win in the European Tour do you think he's a potential player in the Ryder Cup team next year? Yeah, I think he has to be, doesn't he? I mean, he's now broken into top three, uh, 30 in the world, I think, with that win. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see, yep. I think, you know, he's won several times on tour now. And um, he's obviously, uh, you know, progressing nicely. I mean, it's maybe not as spectacular progress as some, but he's steadily getting better and better and more and more consistent. And, um, yeah, he looks like a fixture now in European golf for quite some time. And just even the way he won... Uh, at mm-hmm. the weekend, the fact that he didn't buckle under the pressure, he didn't have the greatest round of golf uh, yeah. in normal play, and um, and then uh, you know obviously still saw off um, Tommy Fleetwood with who, who had an amazing round. The fact that he saw him off, uh, had the uh, composure to knuckle down and hit that shot on the last. I think there was only a couple mm-hmm. of birdies all day on the 18th. It was the hardest yeah, hole. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah fant- it was fantastic finish. It was uh, amazing to see him do it and. Um, no real surprise, to be honest, to to see him uh, complete that win. No, certainly not. And uh, you mentioned there Tommy Fleetwood, who, of course, you said they played that magnificent round of 63 on Sunday. A guy who's had a, a tremendous year so far. Obviously, won in Abu Dhabi at the start of the season. Had that great finish, uh, finishing second at the WGC in Mexico to uh, Dustin Johnson. He's a guy who's kind of going from strength to strength. You look at his ball striking stats on the tour, they're among the best there are. You know, this week, actually, in China, he uh, was third in the field in terms of fairways hit, and he was first in the field in terms of greens and regulation. And that really kind of corresponds 
plus points with his season-long stats. And Owen, looking at Tommy Fleetwood, a guy who is 26 years old of age now, he's uh, he had a, kind of a stumble a couple of years ago, came onto the tour, won quite early, didn't quite push on from there, but now he's finally reaching the level that he was certainly capable of before. You know, how far do you think he can go as a player? You know, his ball striking is extremely impressive. He has a very strong attitude. Uh, seems quite a, a, a good mentality to have. You know, how far do you think he can go in the game in the next few years? Yeah, I think he needs to look at uh, what the likes of Danny Willett has done, uh, maybe Justin Rose, and and use them as as role models, and um, yeah, and that that's the sort of the framework he can get in his career. I mean, I think he he wasn't that far from losing his card last year, and obviously had a blip after a very successful period. Uh, maybe you know overachieved to what some people thought he was going to do in the first few years on tour, but now he seems to have settled down. He's obviously uh, got absolutely tons and tons of confidence, so. Um, yeah, the sky's the limit for him. I think he's, you know, it would be interesting to see how he fares in America when he gets going over there a bit more. I think he did pretty well in one of the world match plays a couple of years ago. Um, so mm-hmm. it'd be very, it'd be very interesting to see how he goes on. But definitely, if he looks at what some of the uh, English players have done in in the past, uh, you know, ten, fifteen years, I think he can certainly use them as a model and say, mm-hmm. if they can do that, I'm certainly good enough to do it. And I think that's where he will probably get to. Yeah, I certainly agree. And uh, before we move on to the PGA Tour, I must quickly mention that we have a guest this week. Last week we had Kevin Paver on. He's a great guest to have and we thank him again for his time. But this week we have another Kevin. We have Kevin Markham, the author, an Irish golf aficionado who's played every golf course in Ireland, has, has written books about it, is an expert. He's the man to go to if you have any questions about Irish golf. And we have him on today's podcast and we'll bring him in in a few minutes' time. But going on to the PGA Tour, Owen, we had obviously Kevin Chappell, a guy who has finished runner-up six times on the PGA Tour before yesterday uh, once in his first year on tour and actually four times last season he finished runner-up including at the Tour Championship the Players Championship and the Arnold Palmer Invitational but yesterday in Texas he came through won by a shot ahead of Brooks Kepka, hold that putt in the last hole and there was a really exuberant reaction You know, it was kind of almost reminiscent of Sergio Garcia that sort of mixture of you know, delight, relief, kind of weight off his shoulders. He now has that first win on tour. But a guy who's played so well over the years, been very consistent on tour, but without winning Owen. You know, now he has that win under his belt, and he said yesterday he's now happy, having never to have to answer that question again about why he hasn't won on the tour. Now he has that win. Could you see him become a more consistent winner on the PGA Tour going forward? Yeah, I think I think so. I think uh, I think. Firstly, I definitely uh, urge people out there to go and look at that celebration. It's absolutely awesome. Yeah. Um, it really it was a massive mixture of relief and, and joy, uh, and it just shows these guys um, are so driven. Um, you know, he's obviously six runner-up places. He's, he's a multi-millionaire already. He doesn't have to worry about a money game, but it still meant uh, so much to him to get that kind of monkey yeah. off his back. I thought it was a it was a brilliant celebration. I thought it was fantastic. And he's still he's still a young guy. He's obviously been very very consistent. Uh, I know uh, the guys in the US um, rate him very very highly indeed, and we're certainly you know calling him the best player never to win a PGA Tour event, or certainly having that tag at the moment. So um, they obviously think he can go a very very long way. He, you know he's built in this mould where he hits the ball you know a long way, um, and he hasn't really got a huge amount of weaknesses in his game. So yeah. um, there doesn't look much to be stopping him. Uh, from going on and competing uh, now for, for winning multiple PGA Tour titles and then majors, so um, yeah, one you know a name to look out for for sure. 
Well, that is certainly the next step in his career is, is getting into contention in the majors, where he's finished quite highly in the past. When Rory McIlroy won the U.S. Open uh, Congressional six years ago, Kevin Chappell finished actually finished third uh, at that U.S. Open. Obviously, he was about fifty shots behind Rory because Rory obviously won that at a canter and was so dominant. But certainly showed that he was capable of getting into you know, a strong position on the leaderboard in a major championship. But one guy who kind of on the other end of the spectrum uh, was Ian Poulter, probably the second biggest story of the week, who was going into was the last week of his medical exemption he had to make approximately $24,000 to retain his card but Ian missed the cut in Texas and uh, subsequently lost his PGA Tour card so he will now have to look for a kind of alternative means to fulfil a schedule. He's spoken about playing some PGA Tour events as a sponsor's sponsor's invitation he's going to play more events in Europe but obviously it's not an ideal situation where a player doesn't have his schedule in place. It's all kind of up in the air as to whether he'll play it week to week. And that's not ideal for any player. Certainly one who is now 41 years old and kind of in that awkward chapter of his career where he's he's not quite where he was a few years ago. And now in the face of all these young guys coming onto the tour, it's becoming harder and harder to stay there, as Poulter certainly can attest to at the moment. So looking at that, you know, Ian Poulter, obviously a big personality, a guy who's had a, a great record over the years, a great Ryder Cup player a real high-profile character. Uh, but now he's not got a full-time PGA Tour card on, and obviously he's going to play more in Europe. That's not ideal given he's based in America, so a lot more travelling involved, a lot more uncertainty. And going into this new kind of chapter of his career, you know, could you see him potentially you know, getting back to somewhere near his best, or is this really a sign of the Ian Poulter is now kind of in a permanent decline? Well, I mean, I spoke last week and I thought he would definitely do it this week, but uh, I got that one completely wrong, obviously, and it was a bit too much for him. Or he just wasn't yep. playing well. Golf's a fickle game, uh, as we know. And um, I think it's interesting. We just talked about drive with uh, Kevin Chappell. And it, it all depends on his drive, I think, and mm-hmm. what he wants out of the game and what there's left for him. It, you know, is he going to compete at majors again? I, I, I'm not quite sure. And if that's his his big driver, um, you know, that's, that's going to be difficult for him. But, you know, if he just simply loves the game and loves competing, uh, I mm-hmm. think he'll be back. And... Um, He's obviously had these injury troubles, um, yep. but you know he'll have uh, you know six or seven invitations uh, now throughout the season, uh, and he's obviously got European Tour golf as well. So you wouldn't be surprised to see him pop up and get a first or second in the PGA Tour event, uh, and you know and get that card back. So I don't think it's the last we've seen of Ian Poulter. But um, as to whether he'll get back to his peak, I think only he will know, and and it all depends on how driven he is to do that. Because he's certainly uh, obviously got the game to do it, and he's he's still young enough at forty-one to make that happen. Oh, certainly. I, I think there's there's still some kind of juice left in the tank, so to speak, with Ian Poulter, and uh, he's always capable. Like you said there about his drive and determination, that has never really been in question when it comes to Poulter. Obviously, he's kind of made his career out of being such a determined character, rising through the ranks with perhaps not having the best technical game, maybe the most talent, but he's certainly got the most out of his game. And uh, if there's one guy who probably could come back from this sort of thing, it's probably him because he has that drive and determination. Yeah, so we certainly will. Here, sorry to interrupt you there. The, yeah, the only sorry. thing I'd say on that is is the Ryder Cup uh, and whether that rears its head uh, in terms of captaincy. Uh, and yeah. if if that's a non-playing captaincy, that that playing side of things might take a back seat. That would be, that's the only kind of uh, caveat to to him really mm-hmm. uh, coming back full time and and being a competitive force. I think. 
I still think he'll be. It's quite a few years away until he will be a, a captain or considered for it. I think you'll at forty-one. He's probably got another maybe five or six years before he really is in contention for that. It seems to be the case that most of the captains tend to be in their late forties uh, when they, when they get round to it. So I think Poulter will probably follow that same route when we get there. So obviously Lee West is probably the main candidate to take over probably in twenty twenty uh, after Thomas Bjorn obviously next year. So certainly Ian Poulter, a guy who always grabs attention and headlines, and that uh, he certainly will, and we certainly people will certainly be interested and his progress uh, in the next few months obviously trying to get himself back on the PGA Tour full time but again like you say you wouldn't be surprised if he popped up and you'll finish second or got a win somewhere You know, even in Europe he's, he's certainly capable of that and obviously has so much experience and that counts for a lot obviously in the game but now Owen I think do you think it's time we brought in our guest this week I think it is I'm looking forward to uh, talking to Kevin on uh, all things uh, golf in Ireland well, I certainly, I certainly am as well, and obviously he's he's the ultimate expert. We 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 will feel quite uh, juvenile in comparison in terms of our knowledge, but uh, Kevin certainly has the knowledge. And for anyone who may not know who Kevin Markham is, which I'm sure you do, but he is an author. He wrote uh, he's written a couple of books about golf now, and he actually travelled. Most of us have kind of ambitions and dreams of travelling around our country, our nation, our region and playing every golf course. You know, I would love to play every golf course in Scotland, uh, all 500 and odd of them, but that's probably never going to happen. Uh, Owen would like to play every golf course, you know, probably in England, but uh, I'm afraid, Owen, that's probably not going to happen either. Um, I hate to crush your dreams here. You know, I hate to do that, but I, I'm afraid it's probably unlikely. But, oh, but you know, Kevin was... Is someone who wanted to play every golf course in Ireland and he was perhaps both brave and perhaps even mad enough to actually go through it. He spent 14 months travelling around in a 20-year-old camper van playing every golf course in Ireland, approximately 350 of them. He recorded that in a review of each golf course in his book called Hooked, an amateur's guide to the golf courses of Ireland. That's now come out in a variety of updates and new editions and it's available at all good retailers and even some bad ones too, I'm sure. You can get it on Amazon. And, um, and also, aside from that, he wrote about his experiences, the actual adventure in itself of travelling around in different characters that he met and different experiences that he had uh, in driving the green, which is the story of that adventure in his 20-year-old camper van. But Kevin's also involved in various different ventures and, and events trying to promote golf in Ireland and promote different regions and different golf courses. He's a, kind of the ultimate uh, sage on Irish golf. He, he writes so excellently and insightfully about it all. Uh, so we're glad to have his knowledge here today with us. So I want to bring him in now, Kevin Markham. Thank you for joining us on the Golf Shake Podcast. How are you today? Are you there, Kevin? Oh, and are you still there? I'm still there. We've We've lost Kevin. We've lost Kevin. I'm afraid he probably tuned out after the first 10 minutes of listening to us. But as I say, you know, Kevin obviously has an incredible knowledge of Irish golf. Uh, he's you've written about all 350 golf courses on, on, on the island and uh, has a great knowledge of them all. And actually, has more recently experienced some... Actually, he's travelled around and he's played a lot of golf in Scotland recently. He's done events over here and he's travelled in the north of Scotland, uh, down the coasts. And uh, if you were ever planning a trip to Ireland, looking for a kind of a, a cost-effective uh, journey, perhaps, picking at some of the maybe lesser-known courses. Obviously, some of the big names are there, Portrush Port and uh, Ballybunion and, and Royal County down, obviously, in the north. They're the, perhaps the big-name courses, but there are so many other ones that are perhaps slightly under the radar that kind of encapsulate what's so special about golf in Ireland, that kind of unique, you know, vibrant, kind of the, the lovely dunes that you see, the great spectacular scenery, 
And uh, Owen, I haven't played golf in Ireland, which is a great regret of mine, but you have. Tell us some, about some of the courses you've played while, while we're waiting for Kevin to come back on and some of the lesser-known Irish courses that you've had the chance to experience. Okay, I mean, I haven't uh, been fortunate enough to play uh, a whole heap in Ireland, but uh, certainly um, th- there are two or three I can pick out that um, maybe demonstrate some of the, the hidden gems, uh, so to speak, that y- you get out there. Um, one in particular springs to mind, which is Ratsala, which is... Um, down in in down south of the Wicklow Mountains, um, just a fantastic parkland course, um, as good as anything you know I've certainly played in England, and uh, a real hidden gem. I'm sure a lot of the Irish guys will know about this, uh, but mm-hmm. coming over from England, you, you obviously get over there, and, and there's the famous courses that have held the Irish Open, some of the more famous links courses around Dublin, uh, but it's things like Ratsala that really stand out. Um, I also played a course up in uh, on the Northern Irish border called Sleeve Russell, which was an absolutely brilliant uh, golf course. So um, I'd urge anyone to you know, just delve under um, you know the, the more famous stuff, and there's absolute uh, fantastic courses to be found. Oh, absolutely, certainly. And uh, Kevin, I think we have him back now. Kevin, are you there? I am indeed. Oh, he's finally here at last. Oh, my goodness. Unfortunately, that's a sign of the technical problems. Obviously, we have uh, we have slightly, I wouldn't like to say kind of a Stone Age technology here, but certainly there's a kind of caveman here at, at the controls who is me. And uh, we're trying to get, obviously, the, everything together. So, Kevin, thanks for coming on the Golf Shake podcast. Sorry about the technical problems there. So, how are you today? I am very good. And thank you for a very nice introduction. I was there chatting away saying how nice it was. And then it came up and said, you are not connected. So, well, actually, I'm afraid there, Kevin. Also, given that you you were delayed coming on, we, actually your introduction became twice as long as it was going to be. So uh, we just about covered there in the end. Uh, so, Kevin, am I right in saying that you're kind of you have an injury at the moment? You're not able to play golf at the, at the moment. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been out for two weeks. I'm out for another four. I've had an ankle operation, which has slightly scuppered my season. But these things happen. Well, that's unfortunate, oh. but in the end, I guess it's not. The slight consolation is that you've played every golf course in Ireland already, so that's probably so you've already experienced them all. Uh, but Kevin, looking at obviously the you know, some of the we're talking there with Owen there, but some of the lesser known golf courses in Ireland, and obviously people would identify the likes of Port Rush and Ballabunion and Port uh, County Down and so on as being the big names, the ones that we would like to go and play. But there are many obviously fantastic regions within Ireland that have you know, tremendous golf courses, really scenic golf courses, thrilling ones, great dunes, just tremendous in every every possible aspect and one of those areas i would say is the west of ireland and they've more recently seven golf courses in the west have come together there and they've put together packages to try and attract visitors to these courses and many of them are perhaps not as well known to people out with uh, ireland at all but um you obviously have great experience all these courses one of them carne is one of your favorites so uh, Kevin, tell us a little bit about the west of ireland links and uh, some of the packages there that people can go and experience well, it's, a, it's basically a new collective of golf courses. And I think what, what's happened here is that you have the courses to the south, the Ballybunions, the Watervilles, the Hinches, and then yeah. to the north you have Royal Port Rush and Royal County Down. Everybody knows these courses. Um, you know, people are going to go and play them. They're bucket list stuff. So they're off yeah. they're on their way. But then you have these remarkable courses that just don't get the same kind of high profile. And these particular courses that are making up this, as they call themselves, West of Ireland Golf, are, are seven courses that really sort of still slip mm. below the radar despite being um, extremely good golf courses. And as you mentioned there, Carn is uh, my favourite course. And Enniscrome, which is only an hour to the, to the east of that, is probably my yep. second or third favourite course. 
So um, these seven courses have got together, and 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 starting basically, let's say to, to, to the northeast, you've got County Sligo Golf Club, where the West of Ireland is played, and you know Porrick Harrington has won mm-hmm. there, Porrick McIlroy has won there. So I mean, these, this is a, a great course. Then you've got Strandhill, Enniscrone, Carn, and then as you move around the coastline on um, the Wild Atlantic Way, as it's called, you have Westport, Connemara Golf Course, which is another another links, and then you finish with Galway Bay Golf Resort, just outside the, the city of Galway. And they, mm-hmm. they decided to come together and said, look, let's let's work together and try and create some nice packages that are, are, are going to attract more golfers. And the, yeah. one of the great strengths they have is that they've got an airport, Knock Airport, which is right in the heart of all those golf courses. And um, it actually has more scheduled flights to the UK, nine different airports, than any other airport in, in Ireland, including Dublin. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a busy airport, and it, and it really does offer excellent access. Right. Uh, you asked about packages. Um, they're, they're doing four different packages. Now, um, I, I won't give you the names. There's no need. Um, but there are basically they're saying, okay, you can buy a, a seven-course package, which is 495 uh, euro for, the, for, for for that, and I mean, you know, you consider what a, a top links costs these days. You can bang over two hundred quid for it. So, I mean, that's a really good price. And then you can go down and you can just play play three courses. So you have you have. I think it's a it's a three, a four, uh, a five, and a seven course package that you can that you can purchase. And when you get in touch with them, they can they can arrange uh, all your accommodation, your car hire as well. So it's kind of, it, I mean, I don't want to say it's like a travel operator because obviously that's a that's a very different a very different offering. But um, you know that these these guys, it sums up really the hospitality. Certainly for me, it sums up the hospitality of the west of Ireland, which is like mm. they can't do they can't do enough for you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Kevin, I would say there, would you say you know, these packages coming together, would you say that for anyone wanting to go over to Ireland and to experience it and to try out all the different styles of golf there and try and sample the, the great welcome, as you say, the great hospitality, would you say that any of these packages are really kind of a, a nice encapsulation of what makes Irish golf so good? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, Owen Owen mentioned Sleeve Russell and Rathsala there, which again, two courses that most people in the, in the UK well, certainly, let's say Great Britain, because people in Northern Ireland know Sleeve Russell yeah. very well. Um, I mean, this is the whole thing. You, you, you find some of these smaller places. Connemara Golf Club, which is a, an extremely good links. Um, you, you go in there. I mean, quite literally, you'll go in there and you'll find the guy in the pro shop. When you come back in, he'll be the guy behind the bar. He'll be the guy serving you the food. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's, um, it's very much a community effort in these places. And, um, mm. you know, it, it's not the professional slick kind of operations you get in in, in big courses. And you, you mentioned there about the fact that I played golf in Scotland. I have. I've been extremely lucky to play some of the courses I have. I mean, Royal True, um, you know, the operation, it's so slick. Yeah. And so, you know, you are handled so well in terms of customer service. But it's mm-hmm. a very different experience going to an Irish golf course like Connemara or Carn because yes. it's, it's you're automatically a friend. You're automatically welcomed to someone who's... Mm-hmm. You know who's going to be embraced for the entire day, and there's no, there's no, um, there's nothing false about it. And I think you know that is one of the great things about an awful lot of Irish golf is that the teams are small, who who, who are behind the courses and who run the courses, uh, and the people you meet are all exceedingly friendly. Now I do know that a lot of people say that, and a lot of courses around the world go, "Oh yeah, we're really friendly. You'll get a great welcome." But, you know, I mean, certainly one of the courses I went to play at when I was driving around in my 20-year-old camper van, as he pointed out, was, um, you know, some guy, he, just, he was at the golf course and he said, look, come back and stay at mine, have a night, have a, have a shower, have access, my wife will cook for you. 
So it's that kind of attitude, I think, that, that really makes Irish golf stand out. Well, you mentioned there the great welcome, obviously, and you also brought up there your your travels in the twenty year old uh, twenty year old van there. But obviously, when you were, you spent all that time traveling around Ireland and playing all the golf courses and kind of almost solitary confinement going around in that van, obviously there were ups and downs along the way when you were putting together that book. Um, but do you think that the welcome you had at all different parts of the country, all different parts of Ireland, and all different courses that that actually made the experience easier. That the, the people made that experience for you more enriching and more fulfilling. Absolutely, it did. I mean, um, nobody had a clue who I was at the time. I mean, I'd never done anything like this before. You know, I, I worked in an office up until you know a few years beforehand, and I wasn't you know I wasn't known in golf in any shape or form. Um, yes. So, you know, I was just a slightly mad guy turning up, maybe looking for a free round of golf, you know, not <laughs> way without paying it. And uh, I think the attitude was, look, he's mad enough to be going around in a camper van, let's let him play golf at six o'clock in the morning. Who's it going to hurt? And, uh, and yeah, you know, you get people joining you on uh-huh. the course saying, oh, I heard you were here, you were coming out to play, and, you know, can I join you? And, of course, you know, the, the more the merrier sort of attitude. But, um, but yeah, I, and, and I've got that attitude pretty much wherever I go in Ireland. And and to be honest, um, I haven't played a lot in England, but I play quite a lot in Wales and quite a lot in Scotland. And certainly mm-hmm. it's the same sort of thing. You know, people people are yeah. really welcoming when, around, around these golf clubs. And certainly, as I said before, the, the big clubs can be quite slick um, uh, and, and impersonal. But the, the smaller places, I mean, when I drove around, the, I actually did another route, um, which I know you know about, the uh, North Coast 500 around the Scottish Highlands. Again, it's the same thing. Yeah, couldn't have been more welcoming. Yes, well, actually, I'll quickly mention that there, the North Coast 500, obviously, in the Highlands of Scotland. Tell us a little bit about, I think you went on that trip, was it last year or the end of the year before? Tell us a little bit about you know, that trip you went on in Scotland and what you experienced during some of the courses that you played and some of the people that you met there. Well, I mean, the, um, it was, you're right, it was the end of 2015 and I got extremely lucky with the weather because I went at the end of October, beginning of November. And most people thought I was mad. And um, I, mean, I pretty much got sunburned when I played Royal Blood, <laughs> which was, you know, what a treat. I mean, how can you imagine a course, a course to yourself that yeah. good and playing in beautiful weather? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it went from, you know, the highs of Royal Dornock, which is clearly one of the best golf courses in the world, to, you know, playing courses that you know, didn't have proper green keepers. Um, you know, that, that you know, you're looking at the course going, you know, this isn't really a golf course. But then you kind of realize you appreciate in a much better level that, you know, golf is not about having these beautifully manicured fairways. Yes, it's lovely to play on them, but sometimes it's all about the spirit of golf, which is something completely different. Oh, very much so. I, I think, I think the, the Highlands uh, pretty much encapsulate that. And I, I spent a little bit, a bit of time up there playing golf in the past few years, and uh, I've played Dornock in places like that. And actually, I was quite unfortunate. I've played Royal Dornock twice, and I've been absolutely deluged both times by heavy rain. So one, one of these days, I'll be as lucky as you were and actually get to play there in nice weather. But certainly that seems to encapsulate you know, golf at its best, and it's kind of rugged and natural, almost a throwback. And you know, again, golf, it can be... You know, a bit simpler, a bit less expensive, and uh, I think the Highlands are certainly a, a good example of that. But going back to Ireland now, Kevin, obviously you know, later this year, the Irish Open is going to be a big event in July, and uh, coming ahead of the Scottish Open, they're going to have essentially a, a three-week spell of Lynx golf in Ireland, Scotland, and of course at the Open Championship down at Royal Birkdale. And this year's Irish Open is going to be at Port Stewart, and... Um, now tell us a little bit, Kevin, about that golf course. I've seen images of it. It looks fantastic. Tell us about the course and how you think it will fare as a venue on the European Tour this summer. 
Well, I think it's intriguing that you were talking about Weisberger earlier on because uh, I've had my eye on him for a while and he did very well at Royal County Down for um, for, for a while. Um, obviously didn't win it, but um, I reckon he will he could come to Port Stewart. If he's in form now, he's going to be a tough man to beat. He obviously likes Lynx golf and it's um, it's very different to what, you know, European tour players play on a week-in, week-out basis. Uh, Port Stewart is, uh, it's lauded in yeah. Ireland as having the best opening hole. Now, um, you know, that, that's not to belittle any of the other holes, believe me, but it's just, it's a, it's a fantastic place to stand and hit a golf ball because the views around you are fantastic. The hole just drops mm. down onto a fairway far below and it's just, it's sort of like a heavenly ple- a pay- place to stand yeah. and, and drink it all in and then hit your tee shot. Because, um, I mean, the, the course got rerouted, not rerouted, it actually got new holes built back in 1986 in an area called Thistley Hollow. And, uh, I mean, you're mm. talking giant dunes here. Um, so the, the course gets completely lost in yeah. enormous dunes for sort of seven, eight holes. And it's not, it's not I'm not going to say it's really tough. Um, it all depends on the rough, of course, and the wind that comes with the links. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's going to, it, it'll be a fine test of golf. But I mean, it's it's really it's a it's a beautiful place to play, and I, mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to see. I mean, I think the, the cameras are going to have some phenomenal positions to show off the course. And uh, I mean, I, I was up there last week or the week before, just before um, I got laid off there, and um, the course manager took me around to show me the changes and the spectator paths that they're putting up in the dunes. I mean, mm-hmm. from there, the views are incredible, and there's a place behind the second, the second green and the third tee, which is going to be like premium position for to, to watch these guys play because the, the yeah. second green is high above the fairway, and then the third green is, is well below the tee. So you've got these dramatic shots coming in, and it's going to be. I mean, I'm sure there'll be cameras there to, to, mm-hmm. to catch it all, but it's going to be pretty inspiring stuff on TV. Yes, it's spectacular. And uh, sorry, Owen, sorry, you got- Kieran, I, I'm talking over you there. Um, but it just, I was just interested, Kevin. Are they expecting the sort of numbers that they've seen, uh, they saw a couple of years ago at Port Rush, uh, to come and watch? And obviously, you know, with with you know, these massive dunes, it sounds like it could be an absolute uh, treat for the spectators. Are they expecting those sort of huge, huge numbers in the hundreds of thousands uh, of people attending? Possibly more. Um, they're aiming to sell 130,000 tickets. Um, and Royal Port Rush, which was, oh, what, 2013, they sold 130,000 in advance. It was the first, it was the first European tour event ever to sell out ahead of the event. And, uh, Royal County Down did the same, uh, two years later, although the crowds were slightly smaller because they couldn't, they couldn't accommodate them. So, uh, yeah, this year. And also, I think because it's now part of the Rolex series, the prize money has gone up by 60% yeah. over last yeah. year. So it's now $7 million. And, yeah. uh, and obviously the hope is that you know, the big guys are coming. Justin Rose announced today that he's going to be coming to it for the first time in seven years. So it's, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, it's a big deal. So you're going to get the spectators because you're going to get the players as well. 
Yeah, very much so, and uh, I, I agree with that. And obviously, Roy McIlroy's played a huge part in pushing the Irish Open in more recent years, and obviously we've seen some great a great growth in that event, and it's become one of the real highlights on the European Tour calendar. But obviously, looking at you mentioned there, you brought up Royal Port Rush, and of course, the Irish Open there a few years ago was a great sort of dress rehearsal for the Open Championship that you was there? coming there in two years' time. And uh, Royal Port Rush, obviously, it's going to be a massive event uh, in Ireland, obviously, in two years. Obviously, a great relief for the people of Ireland who won't have to take the ferry or the plane across to Britain to uh, watch the Open in two years' time. But what do you think, uh, in terms of Royal Port Rush, you know, not looking at the course separately at the moment, but look, actually looking at the wider context of the event itself when the Open comes in two years, what do you think the Open Championship coming to Northern Ireland will do for Ireland as a whole in terms of golf, in terms of the exposure of golf, in terms of... Just the the, just the the real kind of the, the great status of it, the the excitement around that. What do you think the Open Championship coming to Ireland in two years' time is going to mean for the whole place? I think it'll be massive. Um, I mean, obviously that's a very flippant comment, but um, I mean, house prices alone. This, this I heard this while I was up there. House prices have gone up ten percent this year alone, based on uh, the Royal uh, Royal Port Rush and the, and the Open Championship. And, uh, and you get people who are going to be just basically say, look, take my house. It's all lived in. I'm just going to move to Spain for a week. Um, you know, you're going to pay me 20 grand <laughs> yeah. and off we go. And that's the sort of attitude. And of course, the whole thing is, is that, you know, it's guaranteed. The Open Championship is guaranteed to be held there three times in the next 30 years. So yeah. people, it's no wonder the house prices are going up. I mean, I was up there beginning of April and it was a Monday night. And I went to one of the restaurants and I walked up to them about quarter to five. And the guy said, sorry, we don't open till five. Come back then. So I went away and I went to a pub, had a drink, came back quarter past five. There was no room left in the restaurant. It was packed. And it was a Monday night in April. And you just mm. think the place is buzzing. I mean, the anticipation yes. around it is huge. Projects that build construction projects that were dead for 10 years are now alive and well. And they're building hotels, certainly in Belfast. They're adding new rooms. I mean, there's tremendous vibe around it. And I mean, you know, it is, it's, it's the biggest sports event in, in golf. So it's not surprising this is going to go with it. And, and it all started really, I mean, I suppose you can go back and say, well, Rory winning his first, his first major at the US Open kind of opened yeah. the front And it's just got better and better for Northern Ireland since then. Oh, very much so. It's, you know, it's been obviously a great era for Northern Irish golf and uh, spearheaded by Rory and obviously the likes of Graham McDowell behind him and uh, Darren Clark, of course, winning the Open a few years ago as well. But looking at the golf course itself for all Port Rush, obviously we saw it uh, you know, presented to us all at the Irish Open four years ago. But obviously since then, you know, there, there are two new holes being built for the for the event, uh, for the Open Championship. You know, and obviously you know the golf course fairly well. You know, how would you rank Royal Port Rush uh, alongside the great golf courses you've played, not just in Ireland, but overall? Well, Royal Port Rush is an interesting one because um, when I first played it, I wasn't overwhelmed. Um, mm. Everyone was like saying, oh, come on, you can't be serious. It's like one of the best. I'm like, yes, I know it's one of the best, but it just didn't quite click for me. And the reason yeah. is that it's, it's a fairly slow start. It's a gentle start for me until you get to sort of hole five, let's say. And then the last two holes, 17 and 18, were, mm. were very dull as, a fi- as two finishing holes. And what's happened now is 17 and 18 have been taken out. Oh, sorry, they haven't been taken out. They will be taken out for the Open Championship. And two new holes um, by Ebert and McKenzie will, will be open. Now, their, their holes going to be holes seven and eight, and they are two absolutely stunning holes. Um, the guys have done incredible work with it. And, uh, I mean, the, the, the seventh is a, is a par five, 
Um, again, high tea, just gently down to a nice sort of, you know, dipping fairway that comes up to the green. And Asia's a big dog leg left. So, I mean, it's really, really interesting. And I mean, for me, it's, 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 it's put Royal Port Rush back in my top 10 where, where it wasn't before. So I think it's, uh, mm. it's, it's going to be phenomenal. And any of the photographs you've seen, any of the feedback you've heard, it's all been incredibly positive. Yeah. So I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the event. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely incredible when we get there in two years' time. It's going to be a real, a real. It's going to be refreshing for the Open Championship itself. Obviously, there've been kind of, there's been a little bit of um, obviously con- controversy with certain venues in the Open Rota in recent years. Obviously, the Muirfield situation there, the Royal St George's Royal Troom with their female membership votes. Obviously, we've have the, the uncertainty surrounding Turnberry after Donald Trump bought that over. So it's going to be interesting to see you know, a nice refreshing, a nice change to the Open Championship Rota. It's going to be a, a great event in a couple of years' time. But you mentioned that obviously that event's going to attract you know, great investment into the area and around Port Rush. But in terms of Irish golf as a whole, you have a great kind of a vantage point having been around the country and seeing all the different venues and getting a sample of it all. And you mentioned to, to me in an interview we did actually in Golf Chick a couple of years ago, which people can still access. We'll have a link on the on the feed to the the, the podcast as well to this interview where you mentioned that. Until around around the time of the uh, economic crash of 2008, golf has declined quite dramatically in Ireland by about 20% um, in the years that followed that. How is the the overall picture in the Irish golf scene right now? Is there growth there? How do you see uh, Irish golf developing in the next five to ten years in terms of investment and players taking up the game? I think that's um, that's a question that could take an hour to answer. It's uh, extremely difficult to respond with uh, something that's uh, concise because you have yeah. two, you have two slightly different streams. You have the stream of uh, golf, golf hotels, stroke mm-hmm. resorts, um, have been snatched up at some fairly rock bottom prices. I mean, look at, look at Dubeg bought by Trump. Um, you know, he bought it for around 10 million. Now, considering what's there in terms of the hotel and the lodges and everything else, I mean, I, that was a steal. And that's happened. That's happened around the country, and a lot of these places are now thriving because they were able to buy cheap and pump in investment. And, uh, and they're doing very well. But I think some of the smaller, certainly the smaller country clubs, are still mm-hmm. continuing to struggle. Because as you pointed out, we've lost about 20% of the golfers that we had back in you know, the boom times, let's say 2007. We, yeah. uh, we're down 20%. That hasn't changed really in the last few years. We're still floating around that area. But we've only lost about five percent of golf courses. So realistically, we probably need to, leave, to lose another twenty to thirty golf courses, so that the numbers of golfers who are still playing the game can spread out and fill those courses and and give it a much rosier look. Because it's not, it's not, it's still not particularly good. I mean, there's still um, still people trying very hard. There's something called the Con- Confederation of Golf in Ireland, which is you know, to do with the, uh, the GUI and the ILGU, the, the ladies' version, as well as the PGA, who've come together and started these fabulous programs mm-hmm. which are bringing more people yeah. into the game at a very steady rate. But overall, um, you know, we're, we're still, let's just say we're positive, but we are well aware that we're not out of, we're not out of the woods yet. 
Yeah, I, I think I think that's certainly kind of reflective of golf elsewhere as well. Obviously, it's kind of a, a sign of the times in many ways in terms of the economy and obviously the changing lifestyles of people. That perhaps golf hasn't always been isn't quite the the attraction that it once was. But certainly in terms of the, the courses that you have in Ireland, certainly the foundation is there to to work from that. Uh, but Kevin, looking at uh, actually taking now to actually one of the one of the books that you wrote, uh, Driving the Green, obviously which kind of looked at obviously the stories your your journey around Ireland a few years ago, playing all the different golf courses, and some of the characters. And one story has always kind of stood out to me as being particularly amusing. And you probably recognize what I'm going to mention, which would be the, the born again Christians, which I find this tremendously fascinating. So what happened with the born again Christians on your journey around Ireland? Oh, have we lost Kevin again? Oh, oh and I think we have lost, we've lost Kevin again. Oh, dear. Oh, well, um, I'm back again. I'm back again. Sorry, my broadband is here. Oh, sorry, are you back, Kevin? We actually lost uh, you there I'm briefly. Back. I'm back. I'm sorry, the broadband here is not good. So uh... apparently, apparently, so. It's <laughs> all right. I was going to ask you there, Kevin, about the the story in Driving the Green of the Born Again Christians, which obviously it amuses me greatly. So I think it'd be quite nice if you could share that with our listeners, if you don't mind. I think it was just, it was it was the first journey I ever took, which I think was in the campervan, which is why it was such a let's just say, an entertaining start to my travels because at one stage I wasn't actually sure I was going to get out alive. Um, these, this couple, I just stopped picking them up. I'd only been going, I've been on the road, what, an hour, and I decided, I saw these two people hitchhiking and I thought, I'll give them a lift. So they get in and then the, the, the wife, the girlfriend, whoever she was, just went a little bit um, religious on me and started saying that, you know, yes. she was going to be sitting at God's right-hand side can you hear me? No, I think we've lost Kevin again. Obviously, we're having some broadband problems in Ireland. It's probably you know, I'm back. Uh, can you hear me? I guess we're doing this kind of tri- across the Irish Sea. And can you hear me? Okay. Are you back again, Kevin? You're back again. Yes. Uh, I, I, I'm very sorry about this. It's uh, right. Very unfortunate. Um, yeah. So she just starts telling me that you know, basically, she's on on. When Armageddon comes, she's going to be judging me. She's going to be sitting beside God, and I'm going to be judged. And her husband is somewhere behind me because obviously there's only two seats in the front of the camper van. I can't see him. I have no idea what he's doing. And uh, and it's, it's just the intensity of this woman. Um, and now I have actually travelled with uh, born again Christians before in uh, New Zealand, so I kind of should probably, should probably have known to have stopped and just kick them out the first chance I got. But I took them all the way to Waterford, and it was just. One of those bizarre experiences where you're driving along with your eyes open afterwards thinking, did that really just happen to me? Because they were just... <laughs> so, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting start to my travels. Oh, so, uh, so obviously, um, quite an experience. Well, one, one of many great stories that you can read in Driving the Green, certainly. And in the end, obviously, Kevin, if you don't get to heaven, well, I think in the end you've already been there, having played every golf course in Ireland. So that's, you know, I think you've had a, a good uh, a good life that way, obviously, already. So it doesn't matter too much what happens after it. Uh, but looking at, obviously, you know, golf in Ireland, obviously, there's so much there. You mentioned, obviously, the, the, obviously the, the bucket list courses for people. But in terms of yourself, you know, when you travel around, what do you look for most of all in a golf course? Is it, the, is it the price? Is it the overall welcome? Is it the scenery? What do you value most of all oh, in a great golf experience? Still there? Yeah, I'm sorry. Again. 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 Oh, sorry. Again. I heard the question. I heard the question. Don't worry about it. Um, okay. My answer is this. Um, 
it's all about the experience. And I think the experience yeah. involves everything. Um, I tried not to, certainly when I was writing hooks and, and, and writing reviews in terms of scoring courses, I tried not to do anything to do with the welcome. Because, you know, if you go to a place and you get a really bad welcome, which, which happened, let's say, five or six times, you get someone really rude who doesn't want to know you, um, mm -hmm. et, cetera, et cetera, You know, you can't hold that against the course. So yeah. I tried to avoid that. But in ter I mean, it's the experience of playing a golf course. And, and, and there's that age-old thing of, you know, when you walk off the 18th green, do you want to go back to the first team? Um, and for me, that's kind of a, a big thing. I'm not mm -hmm. a designer. I've never been a designer. Um, you know, I can appreciate good design, but I don't go, oh, well, look, that's a yeah. shit design because I just don't know what, whether it is or not. Um, for me, design really is about the thrill of playing a golf hole and a golf mm -hmm. course. So you yeah. get, you get golf. I mean, for, for instance, going back to Royal Port Rush, for me, 17 and 18 just let a course down so badly that it didn't make my top 10, even though it's in most world top 100 rankings. So mm. you get that you get that angle. And I mean, yes, it, it is all about when you go, I mean, if you're traveling to play golf, you want the welcome, you want a nice clubhouse, you want good food, and obviously you want to be able to play a great round of golf. Um, you know, I've always focused on the golf course more than anything else. And, uh, and, and the fun of playing golf. So some of these courses um, out there, some of the best courses we have, Oh, fuck, it's golf courses. But, you know, there might be one down the road that I just think is more fun to play. Um, mm. you know, and, and certainly when if, if I do a top 10 golf courses, there are going to be three or four golf courses in there that probably most people haven't heard of. And uh, and, and I think that's the way, in a way, yeah. the golf sh should be. You should be able to go, I want to go and play somewhere different. Where am I going to go? Yeah, I certainly agree. And... Um so Owen, I'm going to actually switch that over to you. What do you look for in a, in a golf experience? Yeah, I think uh, what what uh, Kevin said there is right. The fact that you need to look at uh, the, the experience and the way it makes you feel. And, um, you know, obviously lots of golf courses are at different price points. And we see this often with the Goal Shake uh, rankings and ratings on the site in that, you know, it's yeah. not a definitive uh, top 100 in terms of it's not a convened panel deciding this. So, it's very much uh, ratings based on people's experience, which really does expose uh, what people feel about the golf course, whether they, they, it's exceeded expectations or they've got value for money. And, um, you know, for me, a golf course, a great, a great golf course has to have a, a certain amount of ambience about it. So, um, mm. you know, the, the history helps or, or what it is or the story behind it. If it's a new course, what, what have they done to to build it up, who's the architect, all this sort of thing. And I think what Kevin said more than anything is, is it fun to play uh, and mm -hmm. do the surroundings mean something to you? So you could play uh, a golf course, which is uh, obviously, um, you know, very easy, score fantastically, and, and you didn't have that great an experience. Or you could play something that's incredibly difficult and you lost lots of balls, but you, you enjoyed the surroundings so much and the shots were so fun to play. Uh, and challenging that you had a great experience so i think it's obviously different for everybody but um as, as long as i've been you know i feel i've been challenged i've had uh i've experienced lots of different types of shots and and that sort of thing i think that's what that's what makes a great golf course and um yeah it's it's, it's going to be different for everybody i suppose but um you know that, that's kind of on my 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 list to do is just you know how much fun how much experience you know uh, in terms of the ambience did i have and, and how challenging was it in terms of the shapes of shots I had to hit and that sort of thing? 
Well, Owen, I find it very hard to believe that you ever lose a lot of golf balls in any round of golf, so I'll, I'll take that up a pinch of salt, but I certainly agree with your it assessment. It definitely does happen, I can guarantee you. Well, I'd like to see that happen, but I, I find it hard to believe, certainly compared to myself, certainly. Uh, but obviously, we're coming to the end of our time now, and uh, Kevin, you know, obviously, it's unfortunate we've had a few kind of technical blips along the way, but obviously, but your insights and your comments have been so wonderful, and uh, I've enjoyed listening to them very much, and we'd love to have you back on at some point, hopefully in the future, when maybe the broadband's a bit stronger, perhaps. And uh, So, Kevin, uh, thanks for coming on to the Golf Shake podcast this week. It's been a real pleasure to have you. Guys, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, Owen, as always, yes, it has indeed. And Owen, as always, it's been a, a, a relative pleasure being with you, of course, as always, on the Golf Shake podcast. And uh, so I hope you enjoy your enjoy your week ahead. Everybody listening, I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to Kevin Markham. As I say, you can find him on Twitter, at Kevin Markham. If you have any, any questions about Irish golf, about what courses to go and play, destinations to go to, what packages or what kind of courses to put together, uh, he's a man to ask. He knows everything. He's, he's been there himself and experienced every one of them. So he's you know you can you can't really match that insight there. And obviously you can you can buy his two books. You can buy Hooked, and it's in a new edition nowadays. Uh, every single golf course in Ireland reviewed. And uh, again, as Kevin touched on there, he reviews golf courses really in, in in terms of their overall experience and what they have to offer. And obviously driving the green is more of a per- personal story about his adventures and ex- his experiences of travelling around the country and playing every golf course there. So if you ever want to kind of get a picture or a, or a thought about what it's like to play every golf course in your nation, then Kevin's the guy to, to ask and to le- read into. And certainly his two books give you that insight. So uh, we thank him once again for joining us. And uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast, everybody. Get out on the golf course this week. Get involved in our various different campaigns we have. We have uh, your fairy finders are still running away. So post your pictures to us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Get in there. A chance to win some very nice Cobra Golf gear. We also have a chance to My Joys May to d- design Andrew Beef Johnston golf shoes at the BMW Championship at Wentworth next month and that actually a chance there for you to actually win tickets to Wentworth for that so that's obviously worth getting involved in you'll find the links for that on Golf Shake and on the various Twitter and Facebook feeds we're promoting it quite heavily so get out there and play this week record your stats enjoy the game and we hope you enjoyed it this week and we hope we hear from you next week once again thanks for listening everybody cheers